All right. Good morning, everybody. Are you happy to be here this morning? Are you happy you're a Christian? I hope you are. Have you ever given somebody a gift, Christmas, birthday, whatever? Um, let's say it's a parent giving a child or a grandchild a sweater. And you see the smile on their face as they open it. it makes you feel good. You see them wearing it a little bit later, a week, a month, even a year later. It reminds you, makes you feel good. It reminds you, hey, that person appreciates the gift I gave them. They're happy that they got that gift. It makes me feel good that they're so happy with what they have. Are you happy to be a Christian? You have been given the gift of wearing the name of Christ. You have been given the blessing to be a child of God. Does He who gave you that gift see you wearing it? See you appreciating it? See how happy you are to have it? He doesn't need just to see it today. He needs you to see you wearing it all the time, all the day long, every day, your entire life. So that when you're out and about interacting with those who don't have that gift, they'll see you wearing that gift and they'll say what people say when they see someone with something so nice. What's that? I want it. How can I get it? And you'll have the answer and you'll help them become a Christian too and then God will see them wearing their gift for others to see. That's what it means to be happy that you're a Christian. Have you ever bought somebody a gift and they don't appreciate it? You buy them a gift, you spend a lot of money on that gift, whatever it may be, and you gave it to them with great fanfare, and they opened it, and they looked at it, and they did not care how much it cost. They just didn't care for it at all. They didn't like it. They didn't want it. They don't think they need it. They discard it. And so you never see them wearing it. You never see them appreciating it. You never see them happy to have it. And you think, you have no idea what it cost me to get that how much money I had to spend, how much time I had to invest, how I had to track that down, that one rare item, whatever it may be, how much I put into you having that gift. You don't appreciate it. Are you happy you're a Christian? Because Christ paid a price for you to wear His name. The gift of your salvation cost a lot. And when He sees us not wearing it, when He sees us not appreciating it, I promise you He thinks, I paid all that for you to have the privilege of wearing it. And you won't even wear it. You won't take it out of the drawer. You won't take it out of the closet. You won't put it on. You won't take it away for others to see. You just hide it and you forget about it. After all, I paid for it. Well, what did He pay for it? How much did it cost for our salvation to be bought. I didn't pay anything. It was a gift given to me by someone who paid not just a high price, but the highest price. There's a lot of Scripture that we read and thoughts that we tend to reflect on before we take the Lord's Supper. I appreciate Dustin giving us a great little mini-sermon, in fact. He could have just expanded that and preached that before the communion. It would have been a perfect sermon to help prepare our minds for the Lord's Supper. That's what we do. That's our custom. Before we take the communion, which is our commandment, our custom is to take a moment to reflect on Scripture and a little devotional thought to prepare our minds for the body and the blood. And it reminds us of the price that our salvation cost. Among the Scriptures we can read, 1 Corinthians 11. I want you to turn instead 
to Matthew 26. verse was read to us just a minute ago. Matthew 26, we read verses 26 and 27. Jesus, in his last supper, takes the bread, breaks it, and passes it around and says to his disciples, take and eat this because this is my body. Well, it wasn't. It's just unleavened bread. The kind of bread they had eaten the year before at Passover and the year before that and the year before that. And going back all the way to Moses and the Israelites in Egypt, it's just flour and water and some time in the oven. It's just unleavened bread. But Jesus understood that it represents something. He understood that when he broke that bread, it was symbolic of him breaking in submission to God's will his body. And so as he broke it and passed it around, he says, eat all of this because it is symbolic of my body which is broken for you. And then he took the cup and he raised his glass, proverbially speaking maybe, and he blessed it as he blessed the bread and he says, now drink all of this because this is my blood. It wasn't. It was just the fruit of the vine. It was just grapes squeezed and, and um, the, the uh, seeds and things removed. So it's just the pureness of the drink. The same they drank a year earlier. The same way they drank it the year before that. Going all the way back to Moses and Israel in Egypt. But Jesus understood that this represents something. This means something. And from here on out, my disciples will continue to eat this meal. Not as Israelites being reminded of a Passover salvation, but as Christians being reminded of salvation from spiritual bondage. They will eat bread and be reminded of the price I paid to buy them out of, self, uh, bind them out of bondage. They will drink this fruit of the vine and be reminded of the price I paid to purchase their deliverance. Drink this, drink all of this, for this is my blood, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. A blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. That's the verse I want us to consider, Matthew 26, 28. For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. You know it very well. We've read it many times when it comes to the Lord's Supper time. I want you to, now having said all that by introduction, let's remove the Lord's Supper from our minds and just appreciate the words that Jesus speaks here and the significance they carry with us because this is not just a Lord's Supper text. This is a reminder of the high price that was paid to purchase your salvation. And I want to take this verse and break it into four parts, four little clauses that are found in this one sentence. And then with each one, identify a key word and make it make sense and help us to better appreciate what the Lord is saying here. So here's the first clause, for this is my blood. What word should we focus on? Just really one key word, I suppose. One big word in that part, and that's blood. We could talk about blood. We could go to Leviticus and how when God established the, the principles of Levitical sacrifice, how they were instructed all the ways in which to offer their animal sacrifices. And the reason why is because he says the life of the flesh is in the blood. And so that is what I have given for you to offer to me as an atoning sacrifice for all the sins that you have and will continue to commit. You're going to offer an animal sacrifice from here on out. You're going to shed the blood of your most precious and prized lamb or whatever animal it may be that you have under the circumstances. And the shedding of that blood will correspond to me not killing you for the sin that you committed. That process is codified in the law of Moses there in Leviticus. We can talk about blood. I don't want to talk about blood. Here I want to talk about the word my. This is my blood 
That's a quote from Jesus. It's not my blood. It's not Matthew's blood. It's not your blood. It cannot be my blood. I suppose it could be, but it would be of no value to you. It could be your blood, but that would be of no value to me. You could have died on the cross. You could have died on the cross for me, but it would not have been able to save me. Only one person could have gone and sacrificed himself to accomplish my salvation, and it was the one willing to do so. He says, this is my blood. So what's so special about him that makes his blood so valuable to purchase my salvation? A couple of verses to read. The first is 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, where Peter, speaking of the Lord, says, or speaking of you to start with, says, you know that your salvation, your redemption, your um, uh, deliverance from sin was not done by corruptible things like silver and gold. Again, the illustration of you buy a gift for somebody, how much did it cost you to purchase that? Well, you could have saved up that money and bought something even bigger. Jesus gave you the biggest gift there is, and it was not purchased with anything that you could buy with. It was not purchased with any monetary value of things you might have on this earth. It was not bought with silver and gold or precious gemstones or rubies or anything like that. He didn't sell some land. He didn't sell a house. He gave his own life. He gave his life. You were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold. You were not redeemed out of the vain conversation, the form of life of your fathers. You didn't inherit this. This was something given to you by Jesus Christ. You were redeemed by the precious blood of Christ. Not just his blood, but his precious, valuable, invaluable even. It has no monetary value. It's, it's an infinite monetary value. You were bought with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without spot and without blemish. If you were an Israelite and you had sinned and you had to go take your lamb and offer your lamb on the altar, you must have given your best lamb. But your best lamb might still not have been a perfect lamb. It would just be the best lamb that you could give. It had to meet a certain kind of standard, but even if it just barely met the standard, it still might not have been the best lamb there was. Someone else might have had a better lamb, but that's your best lamb. God gave his best lamb, and it's the best lamb that ever was. And the blood that he shed for you is unlike any other's blood that could ever be shed for you, Peter says. Or you can go to Acts chapter 20, verse 28, where Paul's talking to the Ephesian elders about their need to look over the flock, their need to take care of those who belong to the church of God. Why? What's so valuable about that? What's so important about that? Because it was purchased with his own blood. Take heed over yourselves into the flock over which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to feed, to look after as shepherds, the church of God which He, God, purchased with His, the Son of God's own blood. He gave His life to purchase salvation for those who belong to Him. That makes it valuable. So when He says, this is my blood, you better appreciate that because if it wasn't His blood, no one else's blood would have done the job. This is my blood of the New Testament. What word shall we focus on here? Maybe testament? Covenant is another translation. We think about that word and we know it so well in our modern world religiously, but separate from the religious context, it's still a word that we use in one very narrow specific case, and that is when someone has died and they leave behind a last will and testament. 
These are the things that have been bequeathed to my, my you know, children or my grandchildren or whoever is going to be in my will. I have written it down and I have codified it. And I have made it law so that no matter what you might like or not like about it, when I'm dead, this goes to him and this goes to her and this goes to them or they get nothing and they get everything, whatever it may be. I have decided. That's the agreement between me and them that they're going to get this on the event of my death, a testament. Jesus has a testament. Jesus has a last will and testament. And just like everybody else's, Jesus had to die to enact it. But unlike everybody else's, Jesus shrugged off death. So he gets to live to oversee the actual enacting of his last will and testament. He's the executor of his own estate. He gets to make sure that his blessings only go out to those that he specifically directed it to go out to. And who is that? His children, his disciples, his faithful followers, those who have become part of his family. He will give of his testament but that's not the word i want to focus on i want to focus on the word new testament drink ye all of this because it is the blood or it is representational of the blood of the new testament that implies there is an old testament that implies the old testament is being done away with that implies the old testament is being replaced with something superior here is the blood of the new better than ever testament literally Here is the blood of a testament which blows away every other thing you've ever had before. Well, what did they have before? What was the problem with what they had before that something new needed to be offered? Well, for that, let's look at Hebrews, starting in chapter 10, verses 1 through 4. And listen to the writer describe what life was like under that old law of Moses, that old testament between God and man. Hebrews 10, verse 1, For the law having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things. Let's just pause right there. He says that law and testament, that original law and testament, that first one given at Sinai, was just a shadow of good things to come. That doesn't mean itself it wasn't very good. It was good. It was only good in what it was designed to do, but it could not do certain things. But it could remind you of and it could point you to something that will do something. Something that will be better. Something that will be greater than what you have now. It's a shadow of the greater thing. The law just being a shadow of the better things to come. Not the image of the things keep going, can never with those sacrifices which they offered under that first testament year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. Year by year by year the Israelite would take their lamb to the altar and according to the testament offered on the altar, sacrifice it, kill it, uh, shed its blood because they sinned. The lamb didn't sin. The man sinned. The man sinned and he spat in the eye of God and the man deserves to die and go to hell for it. And so the man, in order to appease God, to, to, to prevent that horrible fate from happening that he deserves, he will take his very best innocent, precious lamb, and he will offer it as a sacrifice. Why? Why doesn't he offer himself? Because what, was God, what, 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 what would God want with dirty, sinful blood sacrifice? God is not some pagan, wicked God like that. God doesn't want your dirty, nasty, sinful blood. You can't offer yourself to do anything but just get you off the planet, but that just gives you an express lane to the hell you deserve. No, something better is needed. Something pure is needed instead of you. But there is no pure man. So you offer a pure lamb as an inadequate substitute. But that's the design. We don't hate the law of Moses. We don't get onto the law of Moses. We don't think less of the law of Moses any more than you would get mad at your toaster for not slicing the bread for you. It doesn't, it's not designed to do that. The law of Moses isn't designed to take away your sins. They offered sacrifices year by year continually but can never be made whole through those offerings. Keep going. If it could, they would have ceased to be offered, those offerings. Because the worshippers purged would have no more conscious of sins. But that's not how it works. 
They offer the lamb and they retain the consciousness of their sins. They retain the guilt of their sins. But in those sacrifices, there is remembrance of sins made every year because it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. Because a bull and a goat didn't sin, you sinned. And the first time you sinned, you were a perfect person who sinned. So what are you going to offer? Are you going to offer your imperfect self to God? That's not, that's not going to do the job. So you're going to offer, according to God's design, an Im, a, a perfect lamb. Perfect in the esteem of God. But that's not the same as a man. What you need is a perfect man. You need a perfect man willing to die for you. You need a perfect man willing to die and shed his blood on an altar for you. And that's what Jesus does for you. But that's, that's not built into the First Testament. The First Testament was built around animal sacrifices. So you need a new agreement with God. You need a new covenant with God. You need a new testament with new blood shed for you. Look at Hebrews 9. Go back a page. Hebrews 9 verses 11 through 15. But Christ being come a high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, not of this building, neither by the blood of bulls and goats, but by his own blood, he entered once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and goats, the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, if that could sanctify to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, how much more shall that purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? No more are you having a remembrance of sin every year. No more are you having to offer a sacrifice year after year continually because none of one of them can ever t- take your sins away. Now you have one sacrifice, once and for all offered, that purges your bad conscience, that does away with your guilt over your sin because it's as if your sin never happened. He bought that for you. He made that happen for you. He gave you a new deal between you and God, one in which your sins can be taken away and forgotten from the mind of God. For this cause, he is the mediator of a new testament, that by means of death, in this case, his death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were even under the first, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. All those people back then who offered year by year continually, their sins are taken away, not by their lambs, but by the Lamb. Their sins are taken away not by their sacrifice, but by God's sacrifice. This is my blood, he says, of the New Testament, which is shed for many. What word shall we focus on? Maybe the word shed is worthy of attention. Jesus' offering was not an accident. He didn't stumble into the cross, as some people actually teach. It wasn't a fight that he lost. It wasn't blood that was spilled in the course of the heat of battle. No, this is a voluntary offering. This is blood that is being shed on an altar. This is a sacrificial submission. That's not the word I want to focus on. I want to focus on the word many. This is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many. How many is many? How many you got? How many is in this room? 300? He shed his blood for all of you? He did. How many is in the city of Batesville? 8,000? He shed his blood for all of them? He did. How many is in the state of Arkansas? A little over 2 million? He shed his blood for all of us? He did. How many is in the United States of America? A little over 200 million? He shed his blood for all of us? He did. How many are in the world today? About 8 billion? He shed his blood for all of them? He did. How many have ever lived? How many are living? And how many will ever live? Add them all together. He shed his blood for all those people? Even some who are just purely hypothetical? He did. How many is many? How many you got? Because if he saves at all, he saves it all. 
And if he saves anybody, he's going to save everybody. Now, not everybody's going to be saved, but anybody can be saved. The man himself says in Matthew 7, 13 and 14, there is a narrow way that leads to life and few there be that find it. And there is a broad way that leads to destruction and many there be that go in thereat. Many people are going to be lost, but that's because they chose not to take what he's freely offering. He's freely offering it to everybody. How many is many? As many as will take it. He shed his blood even for those who won't take it. He shed his blood for everybody. How many is many? John 3, 16. For God so loved, not just some of the world, not just the nice ones, not just the pretty ones, not just the Americans, so mu- he so loved the world. That's all the good, the bad, and the ugly. He so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that, what's the next word? Whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Ah, some will not believe in him. Some will not submit to him. Some will not obey him. Some will not walk faithful to him. And so they will not have everlasting life. They will perish, but they don't have to perish. Without Jesus, we all have to perish. But he so loved the world, that's us, that's as many as there are in it, that we might not die. Paul says this in 1 Peter 2 verse 4, for who will have God, speaking of, will have all men, men as humanity, to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. How many does he want to be saved? everybody oh but you think not me maybe everybody else but you don't know what i've done you don't know how i've lived you don't know where i've been you don't know what i've said you don't know what i've thought he couldn't possibly wash away my sins shame on you for thinking that you're not that special you are not so special that his power cannot reach you you are not so amazingly sinful that his grace can't reach you yes his grace reaches even you because you are not as bad as even the Apostle Paul. If you're in 1 Timothy 2.4, just go back to 1 Timothy 1.15. This is a faithful saying, and worthy of all acceptation, the old Bible says. It's worthy of everybody to accept it, that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. You know, he wrote that by the inspiration of God. Imagine how chilling that must be for God not to stop you in the middle of writing that and say, hey, that's not right. I can't have you write something that's inaccurate in the Bible. That God let him write that? I am the chief of sinners? He let him write it because he let him write the first half too. Christ came to save him. And if Christ came to save somebody who was so hot and bothered and excited about murdering Christians, if he came and willing to save him, I I guarantee he came willing to save you too. This is my blood, he says. He'll do with it as he pleases. This is my blood of a New Testament, which is shed for many which is shed for many for the remission of sins what word shall we focus on there's more than a few key words in this one so let's take a few we could talk about sins we could talk about how that's what i did to necessitate his bloodshed in the first place it's because of my sins that he had to die and had i not sinned had nobody sinned we would all still be in the paradise garden just living happily with god but we sinned and man was forced out of the garden, and we kept on sinning. And God sent prophets to warn us about the danger of sin, and we killed them and kept on sinning. And so God sent more prophets, and we killed them too, and we kept on sinning. So God sent his son to take care of us, and we killed him too. We just love sinning. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. Well, so what? What's the big deal? I'll tell you, according to Ezekiel 18.20, the soul that sins, it shall die. 
The son's not going to bear the iniquity of the father, neither shall the father bear the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous will be on him. You do good, God will bless you. The wickedness of the wicked will be on him. You do bad, you're going to die. Because God is not going to let you being an unwashed, nasty, spiritually, sinfully bad sinner in his holy presence forevermore. No. His presence is pure. His presence is light. And you're a smudge. He's not having a smudge. So he's either going to wash you clean or you're going to say, no, thank you. And he's going to cast you away. The soul that sins, it shall die. And all have sinned. So we all deserve to die. Sin. But he shed his blood so that you could have remission. You have cancer, what do you want? Remission. If you're sick, what do you want? To get well. But what's the fancy term for get well? Remission. You want the sickness to go away. You have a sickness, sinner. You have a spiritual disease that no medicine can cure of this world. You have a disease that can only be redeemed by the great physician, the sympathizing Jesus, who came in his sympathy to take your sin away to take away your cancer, to take away your disease, to take away your illness, your malady, your problem, to take away your separation from God and to bridge that gap between you and Him. Again, that's remission. Luke 1.77. In the context of John the Baptizer and his ministry, listen to how Luke phrases this, to give knowledge of salvation unto His people by, literally in, the remission of sins. You see how God, through the Holy Spirit, equates remission of sins and salvation. He came with a message of salvation that is found in remission of sins. You have a disease. Do you want to be healed? If you are, you have salvation. You're lost. Do you want to be found? It is found in salvation. You're dying. Do you want to live? It is found in salvation. Salvation is remission. Another one, Luke 3.25, whom God has set forth, saying this about Jesus, to be the propitiation of our sins. What is a propitiation? Well, literally, it refers to the mercy seat atop the Ark of the Covenant. But the usage of the word is a sin offering. The Ark of the Covenant, without even, the, even realizing it throughout the Old Testament, was the ultimate altar of God's sacrifice. The altar was actually outside. It was the brazen altar that was out beyond. But God viewed that uh, Ark of the Covenant as His holy altar box on which the mercy of God could shine forth. The sacrifice in the mind of God was paid, and it was laid there metaphorically, spiritually speaking. And so that was Jesus who now sits on that mercy seat, perpetually providing the atoning sacrifice, perpetually providing the remission of sins that comes from His sacrifice, perpetually providing His blood, which perpetually washes away our sins as we walk in the life. 1 John 1, 7. He set him forth to be the propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for, literally, through the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. Again, you see how he equates remission of sins and the sin offering? Something had to be done to purchase your remission of sins. But there's another word I consider a key word. And that's the word you might blow right by because it's just a little preposition. And that's the word for. This is my blood, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Cross-reference to that, Acts 2.38. Peter stands up amongst a crowd of thousands. 3,000 are going to obey the gospel, but there's a lot more than 3,000 there. In a crowd of thousands, Peter stands up, his first big front and center act, since the Lord has ascended to heaven. And he tells those people, some of them are literally guilty of the body of Jesus Christ being 
crucified. Not in the metaphorical sense we're all guilty, but some of them were the ones who said, crucify him, crucify him. Some of them were there in the audience. Imagine the bravery to be just the number two guy behind Jesus. If they're willing to kill him, they're willing to kill me. And we're talking a month has passed. That's it. That's nothing. And he stands up and he says, you are guilty of killing Jesus. Then let me tell you who Jesus was. And he preaches to reveal unto them that he is the resurrected Savior, the Messiah of all humanity. And as you can imagine, that doesn't go over so well with the crowd. They panic. They cry out. They're scared because they've sinned. And if you sin, you deserve to die. And they don't want that. So they say, men and brethren, what shall we do? Acts 2.37. And Peter says, I'll tell you what you should do. You should repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. Wait a minute. My Baptist upbringing says, wait a minute. That word for there means because of, right? Be baptized because you have remission of sins. That's what I grew up being taught as a Baptist. I'm sure other denominations teach that too. In fact, I know some of my own brethren who are teaching that these days. They're just as wrong as everybody else because that's not what Peter said. Peter does not say be baptized because of the remission of sins. In fact, Peter says repent and be baptized. The conjunction links the two together in order to obtain remission of sins. That word for means in order to obtain. It doesn't mean because. First of all, I know it doesn't mean because because the word that is used there isn't because. But not just that. I don't even need to know Greek. I don't even need to know the usage of the word, the meaning of the word. I can just look at the grammar and I can know, obviously, Peter doesn't mean repent and be baptized because of remission of sins. Because if they've already got remission of sins, why is he telling them to repent? Right? And he equates repentance, or he links together repentance and baptism with the word and. It joins them. That's why it's called a conjunction. They're linked together like, like carts on a train. They are linked together. You must do both of these things to get this thing after. Repent and be baptized. What shall we do? These unsaved people cry out in a panic. And he tells them, well, you've sinned. Be bad. Feel bad about that. Be sorry about that. Repent and then turn to what you need to do to take it away, which is be baptized. Ah, but I just don't believe that, my Baptist upbringing says. Surely it means because of. Well, what does it mean? Look at it again in Matthew 26, 28. There's three common used words in the Greek language that are in our Bibles translated as for, F-O-R. Not F-O-U-R, that's the number. Not F-O-R-E, that's when you're golfing. This is, take those out of your mind. This is just the word F-O-R. And even that word, F-O-R, has a lot of different meanings. Gar in the Greek means because of. I went to jail for stealing gar because of i didn't go to jail in order to obtain stealing that doesn't make any sense i didn't go to jail with respect to stealing that's too vague i went to jail because of stealing okay what happened well i went to the store for bread and i didn't have any money so i stole it i went to the store not because of bread i didn't go to the store with respect to bread i went to the store to obtain bread i went to the store for bread stole it and went to jail for stealing. This is the plot of Les Miserables, but that's not the point. Let's move on. I went to jail for stealing because I went to the store for bread. Same word, sounds the same, totally different word. For, in order to obtain, is ace. But there's another word. For those of you who don't care about Greek, you can just tune this out because I've already given you the conjunction point because you have to care about English because I'm speaking it right now. So for those of you who are still following along, I'm giving you a little bit of a Greek lesson here, but I'm trying to keep it simple. For those of you who care. That word for is with respect to. 
It's not because of those of you who care. That doesn't make sense. It's not in order to obtain those of you who care. It's with respect to. For those of you who are interested in this, for those of you for whom this applies, that word for in the Greek is peri. As a matter of fact, Jesus uses all three of those words in the text we're looking at here. You see it written on the screen behind me? I've been reading it like this. This is my blood of the New Testament. This is my blood. But that's not how the text begins. It begins, for this is my blood. If you remember in the previous verse, Jesus told them to drink all of the fruit of the vine. Why should I drink it? Because, for, gar, because this is my blood, which is shed for many. It's not shed because of many, though that's actually true. We all sinned, so he died. It's not in order to obtain many, though that's also true. He died in order to claim us. But that's not the word used. He uses the word peri. I shed my blood with respect to, concerning, with this amount of many. For, that's not because of. Jesus didn't shed his blood because of remission of sins. That doesn't make any sense. Jesus didn't shed his blood with respect to remission of sins. That's too vague. Jesus says, I shed my blood, ace, aphasis charmartia, in order to obtain remission of sins of sins i shed my blood so that many could obtain the removal of their death sentence and peter when he is asked the question what shall we do he who was there at the last supper who sat next to the lord when he uttered those words simply takes them copies them and pastes them and repeats them verbatim to the crowd you know what you need to do you need to repent and be baptized why ace aphasis hamartia in order to obtain the remission of sins. Look at this great crowd of many people. Jesus died for all of you. He died with respect to all of you. And if you want to obtain remission of sins, He died so that you could go into remission of sins. How do you go into remission of sins? Repent and be baptized. Are you here this morning and not a Christian? If you are not, you need to repent and be baptized. You need to turn away from your sins and wash them away in a watery grave, Romans chapter 6. And if you do, you will obtain remission. Not a moment before, not a second after, but when you do repentance and baptism together, you will obtain remission of sins. And if you are here and you are a Christian, but you've fallen away from your life with Christ, you're going back into sin, well, you can get right back into light through repentance and prayer. Not baptism, you've already done that. You're a Christian. You're a Christian who sinned, so you don't need to be baptized again. You need to repent and pray back to a good relationship with your covenant father. Acts chapter 8, Simon the sorcerer. So if you are here and you're not a Christian, repent and be baptized. If you're here and you're not faithful, repent and pray. And if you need help with either of those things or with anything else, we're here to help you. Please let us know how right now as we stand and sing.